How spooky is this? It's our Christmas episode and it's the first snow of winter. Merry Christmas! And today we're talking with somebody very special. We're just at the side of Tower Bridge. It is a port and cruise ships do stop here. Well, not exactly here. They do stop on the Thames, but it is for small ships. We're visiting a very special small ship. There's a handle on the left. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. It's so cosy. As it's Christmas Day, and actually the first Christmas Day that the Queen won't be here to give her message, we thought we'd speak with somebody who spent most of her reign trying to help the world get to know her. Ken Lennox. So you call this a houseboat, don't you? Yeah, on um, St Catherine's Dock. No, it's a Dutch sailing barge, and it's fully thing. rigged. The sails are all up, and the sail locker up the front. The mast I had redone, and now, and it was in dry dock. Oh, really? Um, it's um, yeah. It, I wanted it in full sailing condition because I want to be able to take my grandchildren and so on up to Oxford. And oh, wow! Various things like that. Yeah. Sail them past the Houses of Parliament, and then. Maybe, maybe take them down to the channel for a little bit of excitement. So this is Ken Lennox, and we're old friends because we've worked together on a cruise ship. He was a royal photographer, and um, he got to know the Queen on many occasions, didn't you, Ken? Yes, yes, I got in trouble with her, and uh, there was good times and bad times. So when was the first, what was the first photograph you ever took of her? I was 13 years old. Yeah. Uh, she came to visit Paisley just um, four and a half years after going on the throne. And so out of the 70 years that she was on the throne, I photographed her for 65 of Oh, my goodness. Uh, she came to Paisley and I took some photographs. I had a summer holiday job with a photographer, uh, which you're allowed to do from the age of 13 in Scotland. And uh, working at weekends, sweeping the floors, etc. And my boss then, a young guy, he said, have you ever taken any photographs before? And I hadn't. So he gave me a camera, told me, enjoy it. Yeah. And I mucked about and really enjoyed it. And he said to me, well, you've got a good eye. And uh, he let me do some sort of minor jobs. So I was still in school and... Um, the Queen came to Paisley and the schools lined up a section outside uh, Paisley Abbey. And uh, she crossed the road and passed within about 10 feet of me. And she looked great and gave a big smile, which was just right into the camera. And um, I gave it to my local paper and they said to me, you should try the Daily Express with that photograph. Wow. So I sold it to Daily Express for 22 guineas. <laughs> <laughs> and the picture editor invited me to come into the office. So I went into the office in Glasgow to see him, and he burst out laughing because I had gone in in my school uniform, oh. and he burst into laughter, and he said, Oh, I'm so sorry, son. I'll pay your train fares and uh, come back when you've grown up. Yeah. 
And when I left the Express many years later, he said, the one thing that's nice about Kenny never did grow up. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. So was the Queen easy to photograph? Because she looks like, well, she looked like she had a beautiful face from yes. all angles. And an easy smile. The Queen has a good smile. I mean, occasionally she can look miserable, you know. Mm. I mean, As we all can, the, yeah. I think one of her press officers got into trouble for calling it her Miss Piggy face. And, uh, oh, but uh, she knew she had to smile. She knew ha- she had to look interested. Um, and she spe- She, I think she liked people, which was in a, a, a big plus for her. And she was very easy. But in those days, there was much more formality. You couldn't even be in a pen of photographers unless you were in a lounge suit. Oh, really? Smart, shiny shoe. You've been inspected by the local uh, police superintendent and you're allowed in and you had to wear a pass and so on. And then maybe one of the Queen's detectives or uh, they would come and look you over. Yeah. And I once uh, filled in for another photographer uh, and I was wearing um, a tweed jacket and a pair of smart grey trousers. And he looked at me and he said, you know you're not supposed to be here dressed like that, which means I wasn't smart enough. Right. And I said, I'm filling in for someone who is ill. And he said, oh, I see. All right, but stay at the back, he said. (laughs) Did you? I bet you didn't. I bet you didn't stay at the back. Oh, well, of course, I was crawling over people to get to the front. What year do you think that ended when you had to wear a sort of like a, a suit or a suit and tie. Because when I joined the BBC in 1973, people were still going to work in suits and ties. Yeah, and we were almost, Yeah, we were almost the first generation because Radio 1 had started about 1967. So we were kind of still up turning the apple, apple cart. So when did it finish for photographers? It didn't finish in Fleet Street for a long time. Um, I became the Sun's picture editor uh, uh, in the 90s and um, some of the photographers were very scruffy and the the problem was when the photographer came in in the morning he didn't know whether he was going to go to 10 Downing Street inside 10 Downing Street to do a rota inside Buckingham Palace to do a rota so in those days you still had to be fairly smart Mm. to turn up later on uh, it said a I sort of relaxed a bit, as long as they wore a pair of dark trousers, no jeans, and maybe like a a navy blue or black pullover with a a white shirt showing. Mm. Um, It was smart casual, like you would have aboard a ship and so on. But um, uh, it's still, because you never knew quite what you were doing, you could be on a stage with somebody photographing them, you could be at an award ceremony whereby you would actually be stage left photographing them with the host and so on as they moved in and out. So, so talking of ships then, when did you, when was your first ship engagement where you went on to talk about your career, about yourself? It was unusually uh, at the end of the Gulf War. I initially was a war photographer from um, Vietnam right the way through. My main job is to cover wars, famines, earthquakes, everything like that. And um, I went to the Gulf War, and at the end of the Gulf War, Gulf War One, I was on the Late Late Show, and I was being quizzed about why I had taken certain photographs and why I didn't take others. And um, this programme showed in America, 
I think it was um, that public uh, service and PBS in America. So at the end of the Gulf War, um, there was a shipping line. I think it was called um, U.S. Shipping Line or something like that. They had quite a few ships, mostly in the Caribbean, Florida, places like that. And they said they'd given over three ships uh, to the veterans from Gulf War. Um, it was out of season, you know, sort of January. And they said, if you come over, you can hop between ships and do the lectures because the soldiers, airmen and seamen, are going to be on for three days. And at the end of the three days, everything's free. They can drink themselves silly in a bar. And then they go home and another crew come onto the ship. So, so I think it lasted about... 15 days, so there was nine shiploads, and I had to hop ships and do the story and show the pictures I'd taken at Gulf War One. And uh, so I thought, this what an easy job this is going to be, because nobody's going to leave the bar to come and listen to me in the ballroom. So I'll get up there, I'll talk to myself for 10 minutes, then I'll go and join the guys in the bar and have a really good trip. So my flight was late, and when I got there, there was, they were waiting for me at the airport, and I said, everybody's waiting for you, Ken. When you get there, straight on to stage, no time to, repair, uh, to prepare, um, we'll fix you up with a head mic, etc., etc. Scary. So I got on there, and this ballroom was full of guys, just... You could feel the tension. They did not want to be there to listen to some limey talking about the war that they had been in. So I'm thinking, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Uh, So they mic'd me up and got everything ready. Introduction lasted (coughs) two minutes. And they said, Ken, I stepped up to the microphone. I said, "Um, could a couple of you guys at the back just lock the doors down for me? And everybody went, what's he talking about? (laughs) I said, it'll only take a minute and I'll explain right away. And they said, uh, said, that's it, doors are closed. I said, right, somebody here shot me in the groin during this last (laughs) war and nobody leaves this room till I find out who it is. That broke the ice. Laughed. And I did sort of 25 minutes and uh, there was about 10 minutes to go and I said, look, rather than me do a question and answer, I would like to invite anybody here who's got a FUBAR story. FUBAR is the American military equivalent of a F-up, you know. All right. No hero stories, just bad stories gone wrong. So they'd come up and they, it was hilarious how everything had gone wrong. One guy told this lovely story that he collected hundreds of Iraqi helmets and stuck them in the back of a truck. Now, a lot of people um, who go to war don't ever see the front or any action. Yeah. So he took this truckload back to the nearest PX and sold all these helmets for $15 a piece to guys who would never get near the front line. <laughs> what, so they could take them home. Take them home and, and say, yeah. They were heroes yeah. to their yeah. families and yeah. so on. So uh, now you can... Now I've seen you... and I, I just want to get you back to the Queen, really, because... On the ship now, some of these theatres have a thousand people sitting there. Yeah. And you fill the theatre and you tell story after story and you could hear a pin drop. People listen to you talking about the Queen. Mm. And 
it and with your beautiful photos you. as well. Doesn't yeah. phase you at all now, does it? No, it doesn't. It doesn't phase me because I'm talking about something I've done. Mm. And the photographs are there. I've got no script. I don't know what I'm going to say when I walk up to the microphone because it can change if one photograph seems to draw attention. I've got lots of funny stories about things going wrong, things going right. I've got a story about the D-Day celebrations. Oh, OK. Uh, I'll give you a brief... Um, the Queen's there with all the heads of state that had anything to do with the war, including uh, the Germans and so on, and they're going to stand on the Normandy beaches and have a photograph taken there. Uh, in the morning, they're going to visit the graveyards for all the, their own country people who yeah. died and so on. So um, we go along there. I go to the graveyard with the Queen. The Queen weeps buckets. Oh, really? Mm. And then later on, there's a march past, and the Queen's on a dais, and all the old soldiers who were there at D-Day march past her. Very moving. Mm. And the terrible thing about the graveyard was, you know, a sergeant at 21, a soldier at 19. It's, all that. Mm. I mean, it's always mm. the boys mm. that die, I think. Mm. So the Queen obviously was very moved in this. And then just after lunchtime, there was this photograph on the beach with the Queen, Mitterrand, um, American President was, Ronnie Reagan, Helmut Kohl was there, uh, everyone who had a part of the war. And once they did this, uh, the Queen was going to walk on duck boards up through the sand dunes to where the Royal Helicopter was waiting. So the Queen's press officer was there and... Uh, Ron Bell from Press Association and I with only two Brits on the beach. And we said to him, is there any chance you could take our films back and we could have them picked up at Buckingham Palace hours before we could get there? And he said, I'll ask. So the Queen is coming up the duck boards with a meter on. And behind is the Royal Equerry, and we're trying to, the Royal Press Officer, we're trying to look to his face to see if there's going to be a yes or a no. So we're not ignoring the Queen, but she comes right up, and the two of us, Ron and I, do a little head bow like that, and the Queen comes over to us, opens her handbag up, and holds it out, and says, I believe you've got something for me, gentlemen. <laughs> and Ron and I... <laughs> you know, on the yeah. and put a little envelope with her yeah. films in it so I phoned the office and said I've got a courier come back with her a courier? <laughs> yeah and a helicopter a courier and a helicopter where's that going to land? inside Buckingham yeah. Palace the Queen is bringing back my films and they thought he's gone potty <laughs> people say to me were you friends with the royal family? I said no, no any journalist who says that has lost the plot. Yeah. He's got red carpet fever. He's, you know, he's got too involved. We are, we have a working relationship to us. Mm. And what a lot of people don't understand, there is an official press, accredited press, who go on tour. We're not paparazzi. We are actually given the spots to take the pictures. Yeah. Uh, sometimes they're amazing. I, I was in the running board of an ancient Rolls Royce in Sydney, Australia, three feet from the Princess of Wales, uh, going through the crowds at the uh, Sydney Opera House. 
and been held on by an Aussie cop. Oh. Who, who was the last thing he wanted to do was hold on to Yeah. Him. Can I just, I, mean, I just want to go back to this thing about you being friends with the royal family, and I understand what you're saying. But then looking at our industry, where we spend so much of our lives away, and you're working together, you may be underestimating well, really how close you were. I, I know what you're saying here, but... And there's times where incredible things happened. Um, we just finished Australia and New Zealand and at the cocktail party. Um, Princess Diana comes straight across to me at the end, and she said... Are you coming to Canada, Mr. Lennox? I said, I don't know yet, ma'am. And she said, have you got trouble at home if you come to Canada? I thought, how did you hear that? Mm-hmm. And I said, that's possibly the case, ma'am. Not wanting to commit myself. She said, has your wife said she'll divorce you if you go to Canada? I said, oh, God, Yes. <laughs> And I said, how did you hear that? She said, I love gossip, she said. <laughs> and obviously, James Whitaker, my partner on it, he had blabbed to somebody. Yeah. Like Ken's right under it here. And so she said, what do you think then? I said, I don't know until I got home and do some negotiating. Are you down to come to Canada? I said, yes, ma'am, I am. And she said... Well, listen, if it all goes wrong and it's a divorce, tell your wife I'll happily witness for her. She knows where to find me. Wow. Now... She was teasing you, wasn't she? Yes, of course she was. Yeah. But I never overstepped the mark. I would never have called her Diana in any part of my life. I thought there had to be a certain formality about it. Things like I did a neck bow. Some journalists thought you shouldn't do that. Um, most did Um, I would call the Queen Your Majesty and then Ma'am from then on and that Ma'am as the Queen Mother used to say is not like Mum it rhymes with Spam Yeah I think Ken we must end by saying that I am sure that the Royal Family gave you as much respect as you did them it was a wonderful working relationship. No, no I think you're exaggerating wildly. <laughs> <laughs> I just wonder what they said under their breath when they saw uh, me. Oh, not that Scottish git again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you were friends. <laughs> I photographed uh, professionally for 67 years, and 65 of them I photographed the Queen out of her 70-year reign. And was it always pre-arranged? Um, did she know that she was going to be photographed when, when she was photographed? Or? In the sense, she would be aware that there was a photographer there. Mm. I mean, there was things like, in the early days, 1960, um, the Queen was out on a gun dog shoot at, uh, at Balmoral, and I was there, and I've got this lovely photograph of the Queen leading all the people through the Glen, and she's wearing a raincoat, a snood... Uh, uh, a tough pair of shoes, ankle socks, a fishing bag over her shoulders, uh, and umpteen sweaters underneath. It's a real Highland rainy day, yeah. and she's walking through puddles. And there's an entourage goes all the way up the glen, and walking alongside her 
as an American with a shotgun. Can you imagine that happening no. today? So no He was way. our next-door neighbour, yeah. and he was the, the laird of the clan Farker, Colonel Farker. He was an American soldier, and he had been invited by the Queen to go on the gun dog trial with him. Later that day, a Landover appeared with a, two T-arms in the back of it, so we formed a, a queue. And uh, it was only when I was in the queue about ten minutes I realised the person in front of me was the Queen. <gasps> oh, my goodness. Talking to one of her lady-in-waiting. And so I just kept silent and moved up. Yeah. And the Queen got her tea. And as she turned round, I think her lady-in-waiting went off to the right and the Queen was about to go off to the left. So the Queen turned a full 360 degrees and tipped her cup of tea the sleeve of mine. No. <laughs> so, so she just looked at me in horror. I said, yeah. are you all right? I said, yes, I'm fine. And uh, she went back and got another tea and come, gave me a big smile. So. Oh, my. You couldn't get much closer to the Queen. Um, there was occasions where I got into trouble with her. Why? What happened? Um, there was a little island in the causeway. It was called Windermere. Princess Diana, not long married, and her press secretary said, look, guys, come out, get the pictures. Is this Diana? This is yeah. Diana, yeah. yeah. She was just such a figure that, you know, she yeah. became an international uh, magazine front page girl. Yeah. Anyway, um, he said, you'll get an arrival and you'll get a departure. And if you come out with me, we'll go and photograph inside the villa and show the beach that they'll be on. So you'll get a little thing you can put together. So they arrived that night, and I was working with James Whittaker, who was a doyen of the Royal Reporters mm. in those days. And um, I said, you know, I think we can photograph him from the main island. And he said, how do you think that? I said, well, I've done mostly military in my career up until now, and I was in uh, school cadet force. I've done map reading and so on. So we had a look at it, and we could go down through the forest and the, the mangrove swamp, and we could see the beaches on the island. Well, we knew which beaches they were going to this mm. time. So um, James and I went through after the first morning after their arrival, and I had bolted every piece of glass together to make a, a really long lens, um, and it was about a mile away. So, within seconds, Lord Rumsey and his wife and Diana and Charles came down onto the beach and she wore a bikini and went into the water and I photographed this and James took my stuff back to the UK and I stayed on to get some more stuff. So the next morning, I phoned the office. Hi, it's Ken here. Silence. I said, it's Ken Lennox. Oh, yeah, Ken. Uh, did they use that stuff from yesterday? James walked back. Uh, yes, they did. Uh, is there something happened? Yes, there has. What's happened? The editor's been fired. Oh. Oh, cranky, why is that? I said, because of your photographs. I said, what? And I could feel the heat coming up behind mm. my ears. I said, what happened? He said, the Queen has issued a statement saying that this is the blackest day in the history of her British press. Eek. So, so said, you're the one that's responsible. I, I was about to tell him I had more <laughs> photographs that were even better <laughs> than the day before. And um, 
I said, who's editing? Uh, so they named the chap, and I said, can I speak to him? He said, yeah, I was just going to suggest that. So when I spoke to him, he said, Ken, the Bahamian police have threatened to put you in jail and throw away the key. They've been let down saying that they promised him privacy. Right. And no royal in a bikini had ever been photographed before, you know. Mm. So um, I then got off the island by flying to United States because uh, U.S. have their own customs and immigration in the uh, Bahamas. So I went to Florida, then flew back to UK, and I got back to my home in Chelsea and uh, about 10 o'clock at night, and the chairman's secretary phoned and said, Ken, the chairman wants you in the boardroom tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. So I'm g- going to be fired, obviously. Mm. So I, um, I go in, and I saw there's a kind of airlock, you know, the secretary comes, the PA comes to the door, opens one door, and unlocks the second door. So I go in, chairman's sitting there. Take a seat, Mr Lennox. He said, um, this is all very unfortunate. I was, an, up until this time, someone who regularly had lunch with the Queen. Now, I suspect I won't be having lunch with the Queen for a long time. Mm. and you're partly responsible you're not totally responsible you're a photographer who was sent out there by an editor you know your editor's fate, he's been fired now last night at midnight I made two promises one was that the Daily Express were never ever going to do any paparazzi photographs again the royal family and two, that I'm going to put you up in front of the world's press and you can explain why and how you took these photographs, because they've been clamouring to get to you. He said, but I'm going to break the second promise, and this is for you. And he handed me, and obviously, an airline ticket. So I opened it and looked at it, and I said, where's Trumso? And he said, it's the Arctic Circle, and that's where you're going to go and join the Transglobe Expedition, with Ran Fines and Charlie Barton, until the Queen has forgotten about you and Oh, me. my goodness. So I spent the next uh, six months as a second pilot to the Transglobe Expedition. Oh, my goodness. And um, when I got back, almost my first job was Diana. I was in Wales, and the office phone said, will you phone the Royal Press Office? So I phoned and said, Ken... I believe you're in Wales, I Jesse. Well, the princess is going to Swansea and she's going to open a nursery. And uh, the photographer who was due to do that was from Women's Own and he's been involved in a car crash and is injured. And you're the only national newspaper guy who can get there in time. So I said, you know the circumstances? Yes, yes, of course, Ken. So I went down to this nursery and I got in I went to the back of the nursery and there's children at chairs and doing little exercises around. And the last is a little table with children having a tea party on it with um, jelly babies as the food and little cups. So Diana comes into the room and she's very good at this. She spotted me 
in a fifth of a second. Right. Although I was 60 feet away from her. And she turned her back on me and walked backwards all the way down (laughs) through this room. She got to the table and she knelt down and one of the children offered her a little plastic plate with a jelly baby on it. Uh, She didn't eat it, but she held it as if she was about to eat it. And I took the photograph. So then I left and went out to see the farewell. And she came out. Out the corner of my eye, she spotted me. And she said her farewell to the local mayor, the people who ran the nursery, etc. And as she got the car, she turned to me and she said, Did you really go to the North Pole, Mr Lennox? Yeah. I said, Yes, ma'am. She said, How was that? I said, Very cold, (laughs) ma'am. She burst out laughing into the car. You see, she was a young modern girl. A bikini meant nothing to her, but to the Queen, it was... So did the Queen forgive you? Oh, it was a long story. So that's our Christmas podcast with the great Ken Lennox. And he's so good, and there's so much more to say. He'll be back tomorrow. And then, on New Year's Day, we're speaking to... Marty Christian. Number one. Yes, New Seekers. I'd like to teach the world to sing. So, try and check in for both of those. In the meantime, have a great Christmas. And more importantly, a very healthy New Year.